And yes, it is already the season of Advent. I know that Thanksgiving just ended, but I do have some friends that we're talking about. Once midnight hits on Thanksgiving, you can start listening to Christmas music. Apparently, that's the official uh, timeline for some folks. As a church, we have not always celebrated the season of Advent, although we have for many years. And as I remember it in church growing up, when Christmas time was coming, we would keep doing whatever we were doing and then have one Christmas worship service and then move on. Uh, Not that we were necessarily downplaying the birth of Jesus, but that's just how churches kind of did it at that time. Uh, That one Sunday was always special to be sure because you get to sing all of the Christmas songs and do all of those things, but it always felt like to me that Christmas was squeezed in to what we were already doing. Advent facilitates a deeper and more meaningful look at the Christmas season, and it does so by, by calling us to reflect on how the coming of Jesus changed the world, because it did change the world. And specifically, when Jesus came, he brought hope, peace, joy, and love. Each week, we light a candle that corresponds to one of those gifts from God, and this week, we lit the candle of hope. And so we are going to talk this morning about Jesus, how Jesus brings hope to the world. Uh, I don't know if you've really thought about it before, but the entire Christmas season is really a season that is filled with hope. And it's filled with hope in lots of different ways. Children in particular are full of hope that they can go and meet this man in the mall who is dressed as Santa, the real Santa is there at all the malls, and they can go and sit on Santa's lap, and they can tell Santa what they want for Christmas. And they are hoping that Santa will give them whatever they want. It is a time of real hope for them. For the rest of us who have had the joy of life slowly leached out of us by the years, we also experience hope. We know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, Christmas also kind of brings the year to a close, and we begin to look uh, at what's coming up next. We look back on what the year has brought us, and we hope a lot of times, and if we had a good year, that the next year will be better. While we celebrate what God has done in our lives, we look forward to what will happen next. And there are still others who don't find a lot of hope in the time of Christmas. They want Christmas to be over with as soon as possible because to them, the Christmas season may be a reminder of relationships that have been lost or difficult times in their lives. It is good to recognize that this time of year does not always bring hope, peace, joy, and love to those around. I think it's right, though, that we start the Advent season with the candle of hope. Why? Because hope is such an essential part of our relationship with God, and so much of our hope is tied not only to Jesus being born here on this earth, but also to the return of the one who will take us home to be with our God. Amen? So today, as we begin the season of Advent, we look back on the birth of Jesus, the Son of God come to earth, and we also look forward to his return when we will go to be with our loving God. Now, let's start out with the most basic question I could come up with, all right? Why is hope such a good thing for us? 
I spent the last uh, few days trying to come up uh, with my own working definition of hope, and it was a much more challenging task than I thought it would be. Why did I want to write my own definition, you might ask, when there are definitions galore? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Here is the definition from the dictionary. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen or to want something to happen or be the case, as in, I am hoping for this job offer. Great definitions, right? If we were to work from these definitions, what is hope then? Hope is a desire for something to happen or for things to get better or for your life to change in some way, but there is really no guarantee that that hope will be fulfilled, right? So if we're going by these definitions, again, then there is something that is left out of the equation, which is will this actually happen or not? So these definitions don't really catch the spirit of, I think, what we are talking about this morning. And it certainly does not describe very adequately the hope we should have in Jesus Christ, right? So how do we define the hope that we have in Jesus, and how is it different from these definitions that we looked at? Well, let's start here, okay? Let's start by talking about what hope is not. The hope that we have in Jesus what it is not. And here's, here's the basic thing. Any hope that is based in this world always, always has the possibility of failure. Period. As the definition says, it may or may not happen, but you hope it will. Have you ever put your hope in the wrong thing? Of course you have. Everyone has. And we could go on and on about the different ways that we have done that. We count on something to give us the outcome or future that we want. We put our hope in what that thing can bring us. But because people are often involved in these hopes, then failure is always an option. It is always on the table. What happens if you put your hope in something, whether it be a job, house, money, marriage, family, plans, and your hope isn't realized? What happens when you lose all the money you have? Or you lose your job, or even worse, you get the job and it doesn't make your life better, it makes your life worse. Or your husband, or your wife, or your children, or your parents let you down in some way when you had put your hope in them. The loss of hope or the failure of something we counted on can be really, really hard to get over. Particularly, church, if you put your, your hope in a person. Because people fail. People make mistakes. People can't always live up to our hopes or desires or wants. And when our hopes are let down, we can begin to think that hope may not be such a good thing because hope is destined to be disappointed. As Jennifer Donnelly wrote in her book, Revolution, I don't like hope very much. In fact, I hate it. It's the crystal meth of emotions. It hooks you fast and kills you hard. It's bad news, the worst. 
It's sharp stakes and cherry bombs. When hope shows up, it's only a matter of time until someone gets hurt. That's all I have to say today, so... <laughs> That's, hopefully, <laughs> not what you think, but there are people who have had this experience with hoping in things. That hope isn't a good thing, that it's the worst of things because hope will always let us down. Well, so that's one side of that. But the hope we have in Jesus is fundamentally different than those kinds of hopes, you see. Yes, it is a desire for something to happen. We hope that we will receive something or have things go the way we want. But our hope in Jesus is built upon a promise from God, and that makes all the difference. The hope we have is built on a promise from God, and that makes all the difference. So what has God promised us? Well, God is full of promises for his people. To Israel, God promised that they would be a great nation, which took a lot of time to become a great nation. But it came to be, but because, again, people were involved, the good times didn't last. And God did not go back on his promise to them that they would be a great nation. Instead, it was the people who had left God behind, and by doing so, they had to face the consequences of that. And Israel was torn to the ground. They were taken into exile. They lost their homes, their great city. Even the temple was razed to the ground. It's difficult to find hope in that situation, right? If you've lost everything. And Israel lost everything. They lost their identity, their sense of self. They did not know where God was. But the prophets speak about a time when God would return to his people and set things right. He will renew the people of God. From Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, if you are in the middle of losing everything that makes you who you are, what kind of hope do you need? Well, hopefully everything will be okay in Assyria. I heard they have beautiful women over there. True story, it actually happened. Or maybe I hope that we will come back here someday and things will be fine. But as, as, as every stone was torn down, that idea of who they were and who they could be was kind of stripped away because they thought they had already made it. 
But into this place the prophets speak and say, they say, Israel, Jerusalem, there will be a time. And look at the imagery. Jed, if you'd go back one slide. Look at what it talks about. The temple of God, which was in the middle of Jerusalem, would rise up and be on top of this hill, this mountain. And how high is the mountain? It is the highest mountain. And when people see the temple of God and the glory of God and his people, what will they do? They will come from all over to recognize who God is and how God is good to his people. There will be peace in the land. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. There will be no more war. And this is what it will be like, you see, when they walk in the light of the Lord and God restores them. It's a powerful message to hold on because even though everything has been torn down, God still has a plan for you. And he is going to renew you. And so the people of God looked forward with great hope to the time when God would restore them as a nation. When Jerusalem would be renewed, the temple restored, the whole place would be raised up before the nations and everyone would see how good God is. That's a big hope in the middle of pretty terrible circumstances. And they didn't know how or when this was going to happen, but a promise of God is like money in the bank. It's going to happen. Now, the promises of God that are extended to us are multiplied from what we see God telling his people, Israel. They are multiplied through the birth life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and the promise that one day he will return for us. The gospel tells us that through these things that God has already won the ultimate victory. There is no fighting for you to do for your soul. God has redeemed it. Jesus has destroyed the power of sin and death, making a new way for us to have life, real life, eternal life with God. So while we wait in hope for, the, for his return, the hope that we have is more substantial than any earthly hope. Because the promise that God gave to us, again, is that Jesus will return, the old will be no more, and God will make all things new. And in the book of Revelation, we actually see what that looks like. From Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among his people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. 
He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Okay. What John describes here is a world that is diametrically opposed to the world we live in. Because what he's describing is a world where God is God and everybody knows it. And therefore, because God is God over all things and everyone realizes he is God, for those who are drawn to him, there is no more suffering, there is no more pain, there is no more death, there is no more hurt, there is no more sorrow. God himself will dry the tears from our eyes and everything is made new you know as a younger person i didn't appreciate everything being made new i didn't but you know as i have arthritis in my hands and my hips and i have all these other things going on i'm kind of excited about things being made new i am i'm excited about the restoration that god has for me and for you, and, and, and this gives us hope. Not a hope that someday this might happen. Instead, we believe, we know that what God has promised will happen. The old will go away and the new will come. And therefore, the hope that we have in Jesus is a hope that lifts us above the trouble of this world and allows us to keep our heads up, anxious for the return of Jesus, knowing that the return of Jesus' church is the best of things. It's the best of things. This hope is transcendent in that it changes the way that we see the world around us. We live differently because of this hope, and the reason is that life doesn't change just because we have hope in the resurrection. I mean, your life doesn't get easier, is what I mean to say, because you have hope in the resurrection. Guess what? Your body is still going to fall apart. People are still going to let you down. Life will still be hard and good, but hard in a lot of ways. None of that goes away just because we have Jesus in our lives, and the stories we've been looking at have proved that over and over again. But the real blessing is that whatever may happen in this place, we know that this place is not all there is. And therefore, even when we are being raised to the ground, we can put our eyes to the heavens and say, God, Jesus, come quickly. Because I'm tired of this place. It's beautiful. Thank you for giving it to us. But God, can we just go home? Whatever pain or hurt we may experience in this place, we know that God will comfort us when we are with him, and that gives us hope. Whatever failure we may experience, we know that God has already won the battle for our eternity, and that gives us hope. Therefore, 
When we live in this fallen world, we know that this fallen world does not define who we are. We have another identity as the people of God. So this world can do whatever it wants to us. But what is the worst that can happen? It takes our life? Okay, then we just go to heaven faster. It cannot take that hope from us. We know that the world doesn't make us who we are. Jesus was born, he lived, he loved, he died, he was resurrected, and he will come again. And that gives us great hope. This hope helps us hold on, you see, when things get really difficult. I'm not going to say this guy's name correctly. Um, There we go. Yeah, I'm not going to say that name correctly. Um, But here's what he says. Hope is important because it can make the present moment less difficult to bear. If we believe that tomorrow will be better, we can bear a hardship today. And it's true. If we have hope for the future that God has for us, if our hope is in that, then we can bear a lot while we're here. Knowing that this is going to pass on. And I think the bottom line is this, church. There is no hope that compares to the hope we have in Jesus. It's a hope with all the what-ifs and maybes and mights removed. It's a hope that says God has already done the work to make this happen. What helps us grasp this even a little bit more is a discussion on the opposite of hope. Because remember, we're still defining this thing here. What is the opposite of hope? Let's say despair, sure. I would say fear. That fear is the opposite of hope. What are our lives like if what we hope to happen becomes fear of what will happen? What happens if you substitute one for the other? We don't look forward with great anticipation. Instead, we are afraid of what may come and what it will do to us. We don't live in the hope of the ultimate victory when fear has taken the wheel. Instead, when fear goes in front of us, we drive blindly forward, wishing for the best, but knowing that the worst could come. And it's in these moments, even with our relationship with God, where we ask questions, does God love me? Am I good enough for him? Have I done enough for him? Can I trust him? Can I trust myself? If you live in a fearful anticipation, those questions will eat at you. But what happens when you switch hope back into fear? Does God love me? Yes, he does. Am I good enough for him? No. But God knew that, and his love was so great that it overcame you being good enough. That's what grace is. Have I done enough for him? Probably not. But that's okay, too. Because God knows how your heart is trusting in him. 
Can you trust him? Yes. Why? Because God chose to save you before you were even born. And he chose to save you knowing all the good and the bad that was possible. And he still sent his son Jesus here for you. Because what does John, 1 John chapter 4, 18 say? There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And through Jesus, what has happened to our punishment? Right? You don't have to live in fear because God's love, his grace, drives away the punishment you may deserve and gives you the life that God himself wants you to have. Church, the birth of Jesus is a really good thing. And it's not just a really good thing in and of itself. It's such a good thing because of what it leads to. That we have so much hope in his return. As the last verse that we sang of O Come All Ye Faithful said, Child for us sinners, poor and in the manger, fain we embrace thee with awe and love, who could not love thee, loving us so dearly. The birth of Jesus is just the kickoff to the love that God is going to pour out on his creation. So we have the privilege to wait in hopeful expectation, not fear, but in great unshakable hope. We're going to close with one passage that doesn't seem to back that up, but let's read it anyway. From Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. But about that day or hour, the return of the Messiah, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. A passage dripping with hope. Right? Linda didn't want to read this passage this morning. Because it was not hopeful enough for her. And part of the reason is what we associate with this passage. Uh, we come by it honestly. Because this passage has often been used to intimidate both believers and non-believers into being anxious about the return of Jesus. You better be ready or else. And certainly there is a gravity to what Jesus was saying, that you do need to be ready. But more than that, I think there is a message we have missed. And that is, you are to live in hopeful in anticipation because the coming, the return of Jesus is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And therefore, it shouldn't be a time filled with anxiety and fear. It should be a time where you have been looking for him to return. And when he does, glory. Praise God. I had this picture 
uh, a long time ago of, of Zeke waiting for some friends to come over. And we made the mistake of telling him around noon that they were coming around five. And he took his nap, and then he woke up sometime around four, and there was still an hour left. And we opened the front door, and we had this like metal screen thing, and Zeke lay down on the floor with his head on his arms and just stared out the front door. I brought him a pillow after about 20 minutes because I was a little worried about how uncomfortable he was going to get. And he laid there until our friend showed up. That is hopeful anticipation. That is looking for someone to come knowing that they will be there. We are to live in hopeful anticipation. We will not be found sleeping when Jesus returns. Instead, we will be on the lookout because God has promised it will happen and God keeps his promises. So we watch out. We look out of great hope, peace, joy, and love, knowing that God will keep his promise to love us and to renew all things so that the false hope of this world will pass away. And as Paul writes, every tongue will proclaim and every knee will bow in front of who? Jesus Christ, our Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Praise God, church, that there is no hope like the one we have in Jesus. Praise God for that. Praise God that when we get to the end of our life, we know it's not really the end. Praise God for that. Praise God that in the worst of times, we have a hope that is more than what we're dealing with or worrying about. Praise God for that. May we cling to that hope during this time. Amen.